0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين ثم أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلل أقدة من لساني يفقه كولي سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما آمين برحمتك يا رحم الراحمين Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum. I welcome you back to our course on the Ship of Salvation or Safinatun Najah. Imam al Hadrami's primer in beginner Shafi'i jurisprudence. Alhamdulillah, we've reached Kitabul Salah, and it is the most important integral of the integrals of Islam. It is the pinnacle of the bodily act of worship of a believer. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala makes this very clear in various verses of the Quran in which he says Subhanahu wa Ta'ala uh, in fact the verses here wa wa mimma Allah defines the muttaqin the Allah conscious by saying they are those who believe in the unseen and then immediately thereafter he supports this Concept of belief in the unseen with the establish the prayer. And it is important that we understand that salah is an establishment in our lives as opposed to just a fleeting moment or some trivial act that we need to get out of the way. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So in this lesson, we are looking at the 17 integrals of the prayer. So we said the prayer is an integral part of Islam and then the integrals of the prayer are 17 so we will we will look at them in this lesson تعالى, and then go over the description of the prayer after which we look at the three degrees of intention and with that we commence so now it is important to understand the integrals of the prayer because one of the conditions of the prayer is that we are able to distinguish which parts of the prayer are fard and which parts of the prayer are not. In other words, to be able to know that when we are doing something that is obligatory, that this is obligatory and we don't mistake it to be something that is in fact sunnah. So in light of that it is important to understand the integrals of the prayer so that we can have a good solid understanding as to what are the most essential parts of the prayer and thus be able to give that our primary focus and uh, thereafter beautify our prayer with everything that remains this is not to say that those things not listed in the 17 integrals are not important but rather that these 17 integrals are the primary, uh, the believer's primary concern before they get into the other elements uh, to to sort of bolster up that prayer and to beautify it with the Sunnah of the Prophet So the, the Musannif, our author, he states, فَصْلٌ أَرْكَانُ Salati سَبْعَةَ in the section the integrals of the prayer are 17 al-awwalu the first is the intention the second is the opening statement of allahu akbar athalithu al-qiyamu ala al qadiri the third is standing for the person who is able to in the obligatory prayer the fourth arabi'u fatihati the recitation of the fatiha al-khamisu the fifth, the bowing down. as at tumaninatu fīhi. The sixth is to have a moment of pause or contentment therein. As-sabi'u al The seventh is the straightening up after bowing. Athaminu at tumaninatu fīhi. The eighth is to have a moment of pause therein. At-tasi'u as marratain. The ninth is sujood or prostration twice. العاشر الطمأنينة فيه the 10th is a moment of pause therein الحادي عشرة the 11th is الجلوس بين السجدتين sitting between the two prostrations الثاني عشرة the 12th is الطمأنينة فيه a moment of pause therein الثالث عشرة the 13th is التشهد الأخير the last testification during the the prayer the last sitting of the prayer the 14th is al-qu'udu fihi to sit there in. الخامس the 15th is al salatu ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fihi praise upon the prophet peace be upon him during it meaning during that tashahud and during that sitting. the 16th is as-salamu it is the saying of as assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah the first time Asabi Ashara the seventeenth is tartib the sequence. So now we've covered the seventeen integrals just in terms of listing them and mentioning them. What we'll do now is we'll actually go through each one of them with explanation so we can understand what the bare minimum of each integral is. Remember, of course, our objective here in is to ensure that we have all the integral parts of our prayer and that we that we are able to Perform our prayer and produce our prayer before Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala present it to Allah in the best possible way. So it is not that we are aiming for the bare minimum, but before we can before we can be concerned with perfection and beautification, we need to know that the core essentials of what Allah wants from us that has been seen to. So the scholars, in their capacity, they have looked at the verses of the Quran. And of course we know that from the Qur'an we basically only learn that Salah is obligatory. It is from the Sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu that we actually learn which elements of the prayer is obligatory. But instead of having to determine for ourselves, you know, having to go through all of the ahadith and then to decipher, you know, from that what do we understand to be obligatory and what do we understand to be supererogatory. The scholars have done this for us and through the analysis by employing the legal theory or usool al-fiqh, they've analysed the ahadith and came to to understand that the prayer has certain integral parts without which the Prophet والسلام, considered the prayer either incomplete or unsatisfactory and he requested a repetition thereof or he specifically stated that this is an, uh, an, an obligatory part of the prayer. For example, saying that لا صلاة إلا بفاتحة kitab there is no prayer except with the recitation of the Fatiha. So it is necessary for us to make sure that we have the minimum requirements of the prayer so that we know our prayer is sound in conformity with the rules of Islam and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. So let us go through this uh, list of 17 integrals again and we will look at each one and explain it inshallah wa ta'ala. So the first is an to the intention. Now I'll go back and forth between the footnotes and the and the notes. So, as you see in footnote 14, it says to make intention in the heart is wajib and mustahab to ate to the tongue. It is considered recommended to ate to the tongue. But what is necessary is to have acute consciousness of purpose in the heart. The intention should be simultaneous with the takbiratul ihram and remains till the completion of the takbir. In other words, at the moment of saying Allahu Akbar, one needs to be acutely conscious Of what one is undertaking that it is an obligatory prayer it is for the sake of Allah it is for example Maghrib prayer and to be conscious of this at the moment one says Allahu Akbar at least until you've completed that thereafter it is natural for the mind to not remain hyper focused but to start focusing on different things for example uh, the meanings of what you are saying or what to recite next etc. And this is all perfectly fine. And of course, we also, are, we are humans, our minds uh, can wander into other areas that we ideally would not want to be venturing into during salah because they are not, you know, matters of the, of the world you're after. But be that as it may, what is necessary with the intention is that we have acute consciousness of purpose at the commencement of that act of worship and Allah knows best. So it is necessary to, re, to, to have the niyah in the heart and it is recommended to utter it with the tongue because uh, we know from some acts of worship, like in the Hajj and Umrah, the Prophet would uh, actually verbalize a form of intention and even though he is not recorded to have said a verbal intention in other acts of ibadah, in the Shafi'i school of thought, scholars have considered it recommended so as to have the tongue assist the heart in being conscious of its purpose and that is the, the recommendation there, but it is sufficient for somebody to merely have the intention in their heart. As for the formula of the intention, should one choose to utter it, there is no prescribed formula directly from the Sunnah of the Prophet even though our books of fiqh have, based on what is required in one's intention, they've put together certain formulae, which we can, if we want, uh, practice ourselves. But if one is not comfortable with the Arabic language, what would be more effective is to actually utter the intention in a language that one understands and should one then learn after that the Arabic formulae uh, then this would be good inshallah but what one should avoid is to emphasize the importance of reciting the Arabic formula without understanding which could potentially cause one to become confused as to one's intention and thus create waswasa, create doubts, create um, distractions when one should be focused on the, on the uh, consciousness of purpose that one is engaged in. So let the intention be there so that we can focus in our prayer as opposed to distracting us from our prayer and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. Now we move on to the next one, which is the Takbiratul Ihram. This is the opening statement or the saying of Allahu Akbar. And the Takbiratul Ihram can only be in Arabic. It cannot be translated. And it can only be with the words Allahu Akbar or in some variations, Allahul Akbar, however you know this is not uh, something that we should now go and practice just for the sake of practicing it. Um, It would create confusion if you recite it like this in in a community or in a setting where people are unfamiliar with it, so it is just to know that it is also valid. The minimal valid audibility is that it can be heard through normal hearing. The imam calls out the takbir aloud every time in salah and it is mustahab to raise the hands from the beginning of the takbiratul ihram to shoulder level, meaning that one's fingertips are even with the tips of the ears, thumbs with the earlobes and palms with one's shoulders. Fingers slightly outspread, the palms face the direction of the qibla and the hands are uncovered, meaning not hidden beneath a shawl or gloves. This is ideal. After the takbir one places the hands below the chest and above the navel grasping the left wrist with the right hand and fixing one's gaze on the place where one's forehead will prostrate. The complete takbiratul ihram must be made while standing. Now there's a few points here. The most important is to note that what is obligatory is to state Allahu Akbar. What remained of the explanation that would be the ideal setting according to the Shafi'i school but there are differences of opinion in terms of uh, where to place the hands and how to hold the hands etc but this is the Shafi'i's optimal way of reciting it as for the Allahu Akbar itself it is sufficient to simply utter the words the actions that accompany it are considered Sunnah and what the author has mentioned is according to the Shafi'i school the ideal is to begin with the hands by the side And the moment one says, Allahu Akbar, the moment one says the the Hamza of the Allah, of the name uh, Lafzul Jalal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one says Allah, and then immediately raises one's hands uh, during that, although you shouldn't be too fixated on, you know, when did you start? It shouldn't become a distraction that you restart the action all the time, but ideally to start from the side say Allahu Akbar and as you start pronouncing it to raise the hands to the extent of the tops of the fingers reaching the tops of the earlobes the thumb in line with the bottom of the ears and also the the hands at the at the level of the shoulders so this is where your hands should be ideally with the palms facing the qibla Um, even if you do it in a different way it would still be valid but according to the Shafi'i school Based on the ahadith of the Prophet wasalam, this would be the optimum way and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The placement of the hands also, there's a lot of difference of opinion between the madhahib on this matter. The Shafi'i's official view is that it should be below the chest and above the navel. Other schools of thought would differ in this regard, so it's not uh, a critical matter of the prayer. And then the gaze, the eyes should remain open and fixated on the place of prostration, except in Ruku when the eyes would be straight down at one's feet, for example, and then during a sajda, the eyes should also be open and looking down onto the ground. Um, Some people, they say it is difficult for them to concentrate if they keep the eyes open and they prefer to keep it closed. If that is the case, keep the eyes open but learn to concentrate with the eyes, sorry, keep the eyes closed but learn to concentrate with the eyes open because that is the sunnah of the Prophet Now we move on to the next integral which is standing in the fard prayer for those who have the ability. So of course if you do not have the ability then you are excused from standing in the fard prayer. but if you have the ability then standing is an integral of the prayer, as opposed to the sunnah prayer in which one could sit if one so chooses although sitting would, would draw less reward than, than standing. So you can see standing is a rukun, an integral in old fard salah for one who can stand, whether by himself or assisted by another. However, it is not a rukun in nafil or sunnah prayer. Standing requires that the spine be straight. One is not standing if one leans so forward that the backbone is no longer straight or bends so that one is closer to ruku or bowing than to standing, some people try to show the humility on their posture, and they stand, you know, in a, in a way of uh, sort of trying to depict humility on their on the body on their person. So they would stand like this and. As long as the back is still straight it is still considered standing but if the back is no longer straight and you are closer to an incline than you are to standing then this would not be considered a valid form of standing because standing is an integral in the prayer and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala knows best. Then we move on to the next integral which is the recitation of Suratul Fatiha. Now one thing that you would notice here is um, the only recitation that is integral in the prayer is number one, or rather number four in this case, the recitation of the Fatiha. Number number two, which is the Takbiratul Ihram, I should have said that first. And then the last one, which is what you recite during the final tashahud, which includes the tashahud itself and the salawat upon the Prophet and, the, and then the salam. Those are the only recited integrals of the prayer. Beyond that, the rest of the recitation elements of the prayer is considered sunnah so if somebody embraces islam and they are not familiar with uh, the various recitations of the adhkar during the sajdah, during the ruku they're not familiar with the recitation of the suar they may still pray and at least try to learn the fatiha and the tashahud um, and the takbiratul-ihram so that they can get started with a sound form of prayer and Allah knows best. So the recitation of the Fatiha is based, or the, rather the integral nature of it is based upon the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he says, kaal, wasalam, la salata illa kitab. there is no prayer except with the recitation of the Fatiha and the Shafi'i understanding of that is that there is no valid prayer except with the with the recitation of the Fatiha so it is an integral not only for the imam but for the follower as well who recites it after the imam completes his recitation in a loud prayer and he recites it for himself in a soft prayer in any case and allah knows best so looking at footnote number 17 we see suratul fatiha can be recited from memory or by looking into the mushaf etc It is wajib to recite it in every raka'ah of salah, whether loudly or silently, whether an imam, a follower, or alone. Notice he also mentioned here, by looking into the mushaf, which is considered permissible, even in the fard pray uh, for the Shafi'i school. Some Hanafi scholars don't allow this, but more information on that can be found in our answers service, on seekersguidance.org Now we move on to the next uh, rukun or integral of the prayer and that is the ruku, the bowing. Of course we know what bowing looks like but what are the minimum requirements for the ruku? In footnote number 18, the author says the best method is to raise one's hands and say Allahu Akbar so that the person begins raising the hands as he starts the takbir and when the hands are at shoulder level he bows it is mustahab to prolong the words of takbir until one reaches the next posture in every takbir, so that no part of the salah is without dhikr or remembrance. Thereafter, the hands are placed on the knees, fingers apart, with back and neck extended, legs straight and elbows out, although women keep them close. Then one recites the tasbih three times, which is subhana rabbiyal al And the way, again, like with the first Allahu Akbar, the opening Allahu Akbar, one would start saying Allahu Akbar and also start raising the hands at the same time to the same place where the hands were for the initial takbir. To so say Allah and then start going down and end of the Akbar ideally when one is settled into the Ruku position and then places one's hands as is described here, hands in the knees, back straight. Uh, they should ideally be as close to a 90 degree angle of the back to the legs as possible again if one is unable to do a complete ruku in the way that is described here then one does so to the best of one's ability uh, the minimum of which is to be cl- uh, is to be closer to an incline or closer to a bow than to be standing and allah knows best Tayyib. so now we move on to the next the next integral which is remaining motionless for a moment therein So this is also from the hadith of the Prophet in which we are taught that a sahabi would pray the salah but he would pray so with haste. So the Prophet commanded him to repeat and then he prayed it again and then the Prophet commanded him to repeat until eventually clarifying to this particular sahabi that what is required from you is to remain motionless for a moment which is called which literally comes from the word contentment, right? is a moment of contentment, a moment of stillness. So you must achieve a moment of pause, the minimum of which is generally measured by the statement SubhanAllah. So if you are able to say SubhanAllah for a moment, uh, that would be the necessary moment for you to remain motionless in that particular posture of of prayer. This is something that is required in every one of the postures, right? So in the Ruku, when standing from the ruku, in the two sajdas, the sitting between the two sajidahs, the, you know, and every moment of movement is accompanied by a moment of pause. And this also teaches us something about the spiritual aspects of the Salah in that it's supposed to connect us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we can only, we can only do this by becoming still, by silencing the self. By silencing the thoughts, by silencing the movements, so you have to you have to achieve a moment of stillness first, and that's just some deeper discussion there. So the remaining motionless for a the moment, the in is going to repeat itself, as you can see throughout these seventeen integrals. So it's not just one of the integrals; it's quite a few. So let's see that, inshallah, Taala. Um, number seven, i'tidal, which is straightening up after the ruku. Footnote number 19 says the i'tidal is to return to the posture one was in before the ruku, meaning back into a standing posture. Whether one was standing because of the fard salah or sitting if you were doing it, sitting in a non-fard prayer. It is wajib com- uh, compulsory to intend nothing by one's movement except i'tidal What this means is that if you are in the ruku, and you happen to see a spider crawling in front of you and you've got arachnophobia, so you really are afraid of spiders, and then you jump up out of Ruku, and then you think to yourself, okay, I have to come back into this position, so I might as well just stay here now. That, meta, that hypothetical example indicates that this person, he had an intention other than moving back up from Ruku when he moved. His intention was to move away from the spider or he was reacting out of fear in either case it's not going to be satisfactory as far as the requirements of salah is concerned what this person needs to then do is if they if they haven't broken their prey they have to go back into ruku and then rise from ruku deliberately intending to do so and allah knows best now we move into the next element of integral uh, or rather the integral of the salah which is to remain motionless for a the moment therein, just like with the rukor. Then, number nine, two sajdas, two prostrations. Footnote number 20 says, in every raka'a. So, every unit of prayer consists of two prostrations. We know what a prostration is, and of course, we will look at the essential elements of a prostration when we deal with that individually. Uh, and also to note, right? this is just the list of the 17 integrals so we are familiar with them and we have a basic understanding of each one each part of these integrals will be looked at individually with its own explanation and will be focused on to a greater extent so don't fret if you're thinking that this is a very fast pace uh, you don't you're not able to absorb all of this Uh, as long as you're familiar with the 17 integrals to the point that you've practically memorized them then uh, that would be satisfactory at this stage. Because the idea is to get the beginner to a point of being able to independently pray as soon as possible. Thereafter we can focus in on greater detail inshallah ta'ala. So we spoke about number nine, the two sajdas. Then number ten, again remaining motionless for a moment therein, as we've explained before. Number eleven, sitting between the two sajdas, Al-julus, bayna sajdatayn, sitting between the two sajdas. Footnote number 21 says, in every raka'ah, and to intend nothing but sitting by one's movement, which would follow from the same explanation that I did earlier on in relation to the person in ruku and and, and then they see a spider. Then, uh, again, number 12, remaining motionless for a moment therein. Then number 13, reciting the tashahud at the end of salah. So generally in a more than two Raka'at prayers, so in any Fard prayer besides Fajr, um, there's going to be two sittings. The first sitting is the first Sajdah, that's going to be after completing two units of prayer. That is the temporary sitting after which you rise again for the remainder of the prayer. However, the first sitting is considered a Sunnah, uh, an emphasized Sunnah, actually we refer to it by a special word that we'll speak about later, but the second sitting is considered an integral. So the final sitting in the prayer in which we recite the tashahud, at to al To as To at-tayyibatu, lillah, the sitting there is considered an integral. Part of that is going to be, the one is the, the tashahud, which is the recitation itself. Number 14 is counted separately, which is to sit during the tashahud. So these are counted as two separate integrals even though they are interconnected because the one takes place during the other. Number 15 is also taking place in the same action after the Tashahud, which is the salawat upon the Prophet the bare minimum of which is to say, Allahumma salli ala muhammadin, And then number 16, also part of the same action because we are still sitting in that position and when we conclude we say assalamu alaikum rahmatullah once to our right and then again to our left. The first one to the right being the integral. Footnote number 22 says ending the salah with salam, someone who is not a masbuk, a latecomer, to a 'a, jama'ah may sit as long as he wishes after the Imam salam to supplicate. Finishing with his own salam whenever he wishes. That's an important point, even though it is extra at this stage, is that if the Imam concludes his prayer by saying, Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, the follower, except for the late but the follower may, if he or so if he or she wishes to do so, and they may extend this uh, this sitting position and supplicate to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala while still in salah, and then conclude their salah when they wish. Because once the imam finishes his salah with salam, then the the connection between the imam and the follower has then ended. And then the final integral, which is counted as a separate integral in the Shafi'i school, is at-tartib, the sequence, meaning that one has to follow the sequence of the prayer as we've listed here in the 17 integrals which of course is a natural following if you learn the salah in any other way it would still have to take place in the way prescribed by the prophet so this is to ensure that you observe the sequence and Allah knows best so those are the 17 integrals of the prayer and now we can proceed to the next uh, lesson inshallah which is a description of the prayer now this part is going to put all of the integrals together in one descriptive narrative, which we will read through inshallah It does not form part of Safinatul Najah itself, but it is the translator's additional notes in order to assist the beginner uh, to make sense of these integrals by by being able to string them together in one uh, coherent narrative inshallah ta'ala. So let's read through that together. Note, description of the salah. Sunan before commencing the salah, to stand for the salah after the completion of the iqamah, to be in the first row, to make the row straight, especially for the Imam when he should enjoin upon the jama'ah to do so and to fill up the first row first and then the second row and so on. Commencing the salah, one starts to make the takbiratul ihram with the intention in the heart, it is mustahab or recommended to recite the dua iftitah, meaning the opening supplication, after the takbiratul ihram, after saying Allahu Akbar. After the dua iftitah, it is recommended to recite the ta'awud which is A'udhu Billahi Minash Rajim. Ta'awudh is mustahab in every raka'ah and more emphasized in the first raka'ah. Then a person recites Suratul Al Fatiha in every raka'ah and the basmalah is one of its verses for the Shafi'i Madhhab. One says Ameen at the end of Al-Fatiha. When following an Imam, one says Amin when he does aloud and then a second time when he completes his own recital of the Fatiha, of course, softly. If one is the Imam or praying alone, it is mustahab in the first and second raka'ah only to recite one complete surah, even if it be short after the Fatiha, it is mustahab to recite the Qur'an in a tarteel, which is a distinct and pleasant way, observing the rules of tajweed and to reflect upon its meanings and lessons. One recites a longer surah in the first raka'ah than in the second, then one makes a ruku' which means to bow from the waist, the best way is to raise one's hands and say Allahu Akbar so that a person begins raising the hands as he starts the takbir and when the hands are at the shoulder level as we indicated, he bows. It is mustahab recommended to prolong the words of takbir until one reaches the posture of ruku. Then one makes i'tidal which is to straighten up after the ruku. The best way is to raise the hand lifting them from the knees as one starts straightening up raising them to shoulder level and the head together saying Allah has heard the one who praises him or may Allah hear the one who praises him when one is standing upright one says O our lord for you belongs all the praise then one makes sajda the best way is to say Allahu Akbar and to put the knees down first then the hands and then the forehead and nose keeping the hands directly under one's shoulders, with the fingers together, extended, fo- uh, extended towards the direction of the Qibla, which is forwards, and the hands uncovered. For men to maintain a one span gap between the two knees and two feet, whilst women keep, the f- uh, keep them together, keep the feet together and the knees. For men to keep the stomach away from the thighs and forearms from the sides, Whilst women keep them together and to recite tasbih, Subhan Rabbi al Azim or Subhan Rabbi al A'la, in the case of sajda, there are other forms of tasbih three times. It is commendable to supplicate before Allah Subhanahu wa Taala while in prostration. Then one raises the head and sits before prostrating a second time. The best way is to say Allahu Akbar as one raises the head to sit in what is called iftirash which is to place the left foot on its side and to sit upon it while keeping the right foot on the bottom of its toes, heel up, to place both one's hands on the thighs near the knees, fingers extended and held together, and to recite the dua, Then one prostrates again just as before. And after this one raises the head saying, Allahu Akbar, as one first raises it, prolonging the takbir until one is standing upright. It is sunnah, year and in each raka'ah, it is not followed by the tashahud, to briefly rest in the iftirash style of sitting before rising back up. Then one rises, supported by both hands, palms down, and prolonging the takbir until standing. This is called jalsatul istiraha, the sitting of rest and is not done after a sajida tilawa or prostration of recitation. Then one performs the second raka'ah of the salah just like the first, except for the initial intention, the takbiratul ihram and the dua iftitah If one's salah exceeds two raka'ahs, one sits in iftirash after the first two raka'ahs and recites the tashahud and the salah upon the Prophet but not upon his family, which is only done in the final tashahood. Then one rises saying Allahu Akbar and supported on one's hands as before. When standing, one raises the hands to shoulder level, which one does here, but not after rising from the first or third raka'ah, and then goes on to perform the remainder of the salah, as one did in the second raka'ah, except that one recites the Fatiha to oneself and does not recite a surah after it. One sits at the end of one salah for the last tashahud in the tawarruk style of sitting, with one left w- with one left posterior on the ground and left foot on its side, emerging from under the right, which is vertical. The right foot is vertical. In the two tashahuds, the left hand rests on the left thigh near the knee, its fingers extended and held together. The right hand is similarly placed but is held closed with its thumb touching the side of the index finger which alone is left extended. One raises the index finger and points with it when one says the words, illallah in the tashahud. Closing the salah, then one says the final salam assalamu alaykum rahmatullah. The best way is to say that and to turn the head to the right enough to show the right cheek to those behind. One thereby intends to finish the salah and intends to make salam to the angels and Muslims, whether human or jinn on the right. Then one turns one's head to the left and repeats the salam, intending to greet those on the left. The follower may intend one of the salams to be a response to the salam of the Imam. It is mustahab to make dhikr and dua silently after salah. Imam Shafi'i mentioned in Al-Um, I prefer that the Imam and follower make dhikr after the salam and to do so silently, unless the Imam wants to be learned from. In other words, he's teaching the congregation. In which case he says the dhikr aloud until he believes that the congregation has learned from him, after which he will say it silently. The Imam turns for dhikr and dua so that his right side is towards the jama'ah and his left side towards the qibla. He leaves his place as soon as he finishes. If there are no women, in which case he waits for them to leave first. It is mustahab for the followers to remain seated until the Imam stands. Now, I don't expect anyone to have learned how to pray from that description. Even though it's a fairly complete and comprehensive description, it is a combination of the integrals along with the the highly recommended acts, what we refer to as Ab'ad, along with the Sunnas. So there's a lot of information therein and it requires more explanation to distinguish what is necessary from that which is recommended. The reason the author or the translator has added this year this comprehensive description of the prayer from the beginning till the end is so that you have a congruent way that you can understand how to place the integrals together if you didn't already know this. What you need to take from this lesson however is to understand the integrals to know the integrals and even to to memorize the integrals so as to be able to distinguish what is an integral part of the prayer from what is extra or supererogatory as for the description of the author of the entire salah think of this as the big picture of the puzzle before you start building the puzzle you look at the big picture and you can see the entire thing Thereafter, you go into the individual pieces and you try to fit them together, which is exactly what we are going to do. We will now, for the remaining few lessons, I would say probably the next 10 lessons or so, take each integral apart analytically and make us understand what is, again, the bare minimum and what is the optimal in each case. The first one, which we'll start off with now, is the intention, because this is the first integral of the the pre. So there are three degrees of intention. The Musannif, he says, The intention is three levels. If the prey is an obligatory prayer, in other words, one of the five obligatory prayers of the day, then it is necessary to intend al-fi'l, the action itself, the specificity of the action, meaning which Salah is it? Is it Fajr, Dhuhar Asr, Maghrib, or Isha? That's Ta'yeen. Wal Fardiya and that the prey is a Fard. This is the minimum requirement of a Fard prey. So from the English we see here, uh, if the Salah is Fard, it is a, it is compulsory to intend the act of Salah, the intention of performing Salah, in other words, be the actual Salah that is being offered. This is specificity, Dhuhr, Asr, etc. And then see that it is a farḍ salāh. Again, this is not required for one to state, but it is required to be in one's heart, in one's mind, to be acutely conscious of these three facts. Very simple, very straightforward. Um, it is. It is not productive to become uh, overly obsessed about it. As long as we know this is the. the as you can see, it, it's sort of self-explanatory. I'm making salāh. Um, I am uh, making. I am making farḍ. Asr salah for example that would be sufficient just think about that to just be conscious of that is sufficient wa in kanat if it is a supererogatory or sunnah prayer muaqqatan that has a specific time in which it is to be prayed ka for example the sunnah prayers attached to the five obligatory prayers أو dhat or a sunnah prayer that has a specific cause like the cause of which is entering the mosque then it is necessary to intend the action of prayer and what prayer it is that you are praying that's it from the english it says if the salah is a periodic nafl like the rawatib which are again the sunnahs attached to the compulsory five daily prayers or it has a specific reason such as uh, Again, here yeah, in the footnote, like the Salah of Eid al-Fitr, right, or Salat al-Istisqa, seeking rain. It is sufficient in these cases that the person make intention to offer Salah of Eid al-Fitr or Salat al-Istisqa. And my example was, of course, Tahiyyat al-Masjid, which again, it is sufficient to intend, tahiyat al-Masjid. But if the prayer is unrestrictedly supererogatory, in other words, there is no specific reason for it. It is not attached to a particular time period. Then All that is required is to intend the action of prayer. In other words, to intend prayer. And that is that is all. So if the salah is mutlaq nafil, meaning completely supererogatory or voluntary, it is compulsory to intend the act of salah, the intention of performing salah. Footnote number 26, he says, those nafil pray that have no time or cause, a person performs them when when he wants to, for additional rewards, when he wants additional rewards. It is sufficient to merely make the intention of performing Salah for these prayers. This is like Salat to tawbah for example, Salat al-Haja for example, there is no specific uh, mashru cause of it and Allah knows best. Again. Let the intention be a means to assist you to focus in the prayer as opposed to a means to distract you from focusing in the prayer which I think many beginners often uh, get caught up in, right? As long as you are acutely conscious of these causes that are mentioned then that is completely sufficient. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, a'lam. I recommend that you go over this, th- these notes or even this lesson a few times so as to really familiarize yourself with the obligatory elements of the prayer so that we can equip ourselves with the necessary knowledge to pray before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that is befitting His Majesty. At least the bare minimum must be met, inshallah. So as a quick revision, what have we covered in this lesson? We have covered the arkan of the prayer, specifically the 17 integrals of the prayer. We have covered a brief coverage, a comprehensive coverage of the optimal way of praying. And then finally we finally we looked at the 3 degrees of intention depending on what type of prayer one prays. Until next time inshallah, jazakumullahu khairan wa sallallahu ala sayidina Muhammad subhanallahi wa bihamdihi subhanakallohumma wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.